because you're jumping back into the gap. All right, let's hey, go. Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Coaches, awesome today to have Ryan Richmond with us. Ryan enters his eighth season with the Washington Wizards in 2020-2021 as an assistant coach and has served in a variety of roles during his tenure with Washington. Uh, Richmond spent the 2019-20 season as the head coach of the Washington's NBA G League team, the Capital City Go-Go, leading the team to its first winning season. Prior to that, which we'll get into and we'll talk about uh, prior to his NBA experience, he served as a scout player for the University of Maryland women's basketball team under extremely successful head coach Brenda Fries and as a graduate assistant for the men's team under head coach Mark Turgeon. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Chris, thanks for having me. How's it going? Uh, it's wonderful. And it's great to be able to talk with you. And, uh, you know, let, let's get into it first. And I think a lot of coaches that listen to this are, are on the younger side or on the aspirational side of, say, getting into college or the NBA or pro in Europe. And uh, you can speak to that because you had kind of a unique path as well, including some uh, Division three basketball. Yeah, Chris, I started as a Division three basketball player and it's a roundabout journey that we'll get into, but being a women's practice player and then a grad assistant with the men's basketball team at University of Maryland, just, you know, it's just an incredible journey. And when you uh, work in the NBA, you work in basketball, you realize that no journeys are the same. And I think that's what makes this industry special and makes the people that work in it really special. So it's a pleasure to be here and thanks for having me again. So we're going to get into some of this pre-head coaching, but one of the unique things too about you is that now you've had this opportunity to be an assistant coach, a head coach, and then back to an assistant coach. So we're going to dive into that a little bit as well, but I'm assuming you really enjoyed your experience as a head coach last year. Yeah, it was it was really the best best experience I've I've had, the best investment in myself decision that I've made and I learned so much, a lot of which you know, not necessarily about basketball, but I learned so much about myself and how I handle certain situations and leadership styles and all the things that we'll dive into. But yeah, it was it was the best thing I ever did by far from a professional standpoint. And, and this has become a trend, but it's also become something that most assistants aspire to, and that's to be a G League head coach, which seems like it's a bit of a contradiction because in the past we would think of that as saying, well, you want to be on the NBA staff. But once you're on the NBA staff, this is the trend now to be able to get that opportunity to be a head coach, right? Yeah, it's funny because just thinking about you saying that now, it's it's. I feel like it's changed in the last five to ten years and how a lot of assistant coaches on the bench or behind the bench want to be G League head coaches to get the head coaching reps, get the experience. And it's funny we say that because you look at all the coaches now that are head coaches in the NBA, Quinn Snyder, Taylor Jenkins, Nate Bjorken, um, Nick Nurse, you know, obviously Chris Finch now, but you look at, and I'm, I might be forgetting someone, but that's pretty much the core, but they were G League head coaches 10, 15, 20 years ago. So it's just interesting how, how that's, um, we think that that's a trend now, but it's probably always been a trend looking back on it. 
Yeah, it's such a good point. And we think about that. And, uh, you know, let's start with your pre-head coaching experiences. Let's start first Let's with Maryland, with Coach Freeze and uh, being a women's practice player. You know, was, did you go into that with the mindset that that was going to be part of your coaching journey? Not really at all. I had a friend who was doing uh, the same thing with the Wisconsin women's basketball team. And now he actually works in, in NBA also. But you know, he gave me the idea. And from there, I just, you know, I really, I had left division three basketball. I played a year, didn't play a ton, really didn't have the discipline to work hard and crack into the rotation after being a successful high school player. And I left for a different college experience. I really left basketball in a lot of ways. And, and, you know, it really drives me now having left division three basketball and, and, you know, I don't want to say quitting in a way, but really just dropping basketball from my life. It was obviously such an important aspect of my life growing up. And then just just going to the University of Maryland to get a big basketball and, and football feel, big state school feel. Um, you know, it's where I first learned and saw what holding players accountable actually meant. And I thought Brenda Freeze did an incredible job. But yeah, that was the springboard. I did not intend that to be the springboard, but it was. Well, let's talk about that. What are some of the some of the things that you took away from that experience that now you apply to your coaching? Well, I mean, for me, it was just just learning what it meant to be at a high level basketball practice. Um, when you know, when I first like jumped into practice drills, like I was being coached as a scout player. You know, I had no idea, but the coaches were coaching me the way they were coaching the players. They were getting on me, making sure I was making the right reads. I was playing defense with the right rotations. And it was the first time that like, I really had to be coachable. Like I had to leave my ego aside a lot of times because the main reason is, is for the players to succeed. So, you know, sometimes if you could beat a player in a certain action or a certain move or maybe defense, it's not really about you. And I think that was the first time that like, I had to really leave my ego to the side so that the, the women's players could be successful. Um, and don't get me wrong, they're they're incredibly good. And I, I find it funny when people on the Internet, you know, want to talk about how they can beat WNBA players. And, you know, we all know people who know basketball know that's not true, but it's just funny to hear them them say that because um, the women's players are amazing. I have a ton of respect for them. Um, and, and the other piece I'll, I'll add is that I had to learn X's and O's because we had to mimic opposing teams. So I had to learn different offenses and defenses and just learning different cuts and what they're called and, and how to like be a real like basketball player. It was like the first time I really learned it. So, so that part on the court, but then the technical aspect, scouting, player development, team building, all those things like synergy, sports code, fast draws, fast scout. I get emails all the time. What can I do to get into the, the business? And I tell people all the time to go to the women's program because they'll let you do anything in in the best way. I mean that in a, in a beautiful way. Yeah, that's such a great point that that opportunity to be able to learn some of these things and really speed up the process for you. And uh, also, again, your ego and those different things that go with it. So it's really cool. But talk to me a little bit about then your role as a women's practice player and then scout. Were you presented the scout in the same way that the women's team was in preparation for, again, applying the scout to them so that they get prepared for their opponent? So basically, yes, very good question. Uh, Coaches were broken down into like different scouts, much like it is in the NBA and in men's basketball. So if the coach, if the assistant coach had your scout, let's say we had the Duke scout, the 
the assistant coach had the Duke scout, they would put the practice team through Duke's three or four main plays so that we would be ready to scrimmage the, the women's team during practice with Duke's plays. And, and that's, again, like, that's how I learned really what X's and O's were. And then the other side is like, I wanted to do more. So I went to the coaches and, and said, like, what else can I do? And I helped the video coordinator cut film. I helped him do fast draw scouts and fast scout plays. And, and like that to me, just like the little details of making sure the lines look good. Like I watch, I, I see on Twitter and all the thing you, first of all, you guys, you do an amazing job with basketball immersion. Thank you for spreading the game. But like, it matters when you have lines on fast draw that are like tight and not all over the place. And they really show the play like those little details matter. And I learned that at a very young age and it's really helped me to this day, every day when I use those programs. Well, and we both get asked a lot by young coaches about, you know, how to develop and how to break into different, different areas that they want to coach. And, and one of them is obviously the way that you brand and present yourself. And those details that you just talked about are so important that you understand all those different things from synergy to fast draw to you know, sports code, et cetera. And, and, and again, just the way that you're able to present that to a future employer is so important, isn't it? Yeah, it's critical. I mean, I, I think those little details really matter. The little things, the little things are critical and, and the attention to detail piece, I know it sounds cliche, but it's the truth. I mean, the attention to detail is really what separates everyone in the business. I mean, that that's really what it is. I see it today every day. It's just, you know, the, the detail aspects of, of like, you don't think a line matters or you don't think, you know, um, an edit of a clip on sports code, if it's not trimmed properly, you don't think it matters, but like those little things matter because it is, it is how you present yourself to the team. Every time you present yourself to the team is an opportunity for yourself, but it's really an opportunity for the team to see you in a lens. You know, they see you in, in a assistant coach or a head coach lens or a video person lens. And if you can really, you can change your perception in a lot of ways, if you're able to go in with an attention to detail and a confidence about yourself, because you've done the work, it's all about competence and preparation. So, and I'll give you an example, like with the edits that I post to Twitter, for example, the video animations, like I spent tons of time trying to figure out what the perfect length is, you know, cause some people don't want the video animation and some people do. So you've got to kind of find that happy medium between the two that it's not too long and it's not too short and that it serves both. And I imagine that's the same way when you're presenting it to players, isn't it? Totally. I mean, it's with the players, it's, it's so much about, presenting the essential information, presenting the details, but not being too bogged down with too many details. It's a fine line. I mean, it's no one can really tell you what's best and, and, and exact. There's no exact science to it. And I think that's what makes it makes it fun is that, you know, if you sew Zion going to his left, but then you show his counter move where he in and outs and goes right, you know, it's just those little things can make the difference in games. And I think that you know, when, when you try, when it's your scout or you're presenting to a player or a team, just like trying to make your impact, trying to make just, just 1% difference in the outcome of the game. And, and sometimes it's not possible, but a lot of times it is. And it comes down to, like I said, your preparation and then really what you're willing to put on the table. Like you have to be vulnerable. You have to take risks. And I think that those are the separators. And that, that's, that's kind of what I've learned uh, starting with the the women's practice team, but moving forward into into my career. 
And we're going to talk about your experience with the men's team too. But to sum that up, basically you're saying less is more in the sense that it focuses players on exactly what they need to see when it comes to video or, uh, you know, a fast draw or something like that is that, you know, there is a tendency and I see this all the time on Twitter where people put too much stuff and then the message gets lost. Yeah. I think you're, you're spot on with that. I mean, for me, it's, it's simple. It's, it's trying to pick one thing. Like before I present a scout, I, I make sure to highlight just one thing. And it's, if we do this one thing tonight, if we protect the paint against Memphis tonight, we have a great chance of winning. You know, if you don't, you can't beat them, right? They lead one of the best teams in the league in paint points. And if you can't protect the paint, you can't keep their dribble drive game out, and they then they spray out to threes, then, then you can't beat them. But it, if you kind of give the players like six things to think about when you're approaching a team, it, it's too much. It's too much for me as a coach presenting. I, I want to know, give me – one thing, the main thing, and then maybe two more things, like three top things that we need to do tonight to put us in best position to succeed. And, and that's that's the, the bottom line of it. The simple piece is critical. Well, and that was one of your presentations, which coaches, I encourage you to go check out on CoachTube is uh, that you talked about half court paint protection in your uh, clinic presentation with the NBA clinic that we put on this, uh, this off season and uh, just tremendous detail and tremendous information in there as well. And Ryan, talk to me about your experience then with the men's program and now with the women's program. How did that impact your view of player development, having both those experiences? Yeah, the, the player development part was was critical because it's really the lifeblood. Recruiting, they say recruiting is the lifeblood of college programs, and that's true. But player development really is, is I think, lifeblood number two, if, that's, if that makes any sense. But I think it's critical because – the players need to feel like they're getting better, you know, and, and it's a daily process. It's something that if they feel like they're getting better, they feel good about themselves. The team feels good about them the, itself. And, and from there, like everyone is improving on a daily basis in the weight room, on the court, even in the classroom, like all those things lift a program up. And, and really what I learned, Marilyn, like it was an incredible experience because as a grad assistant, you get to do everything. And I'm talking everything. Like I'm on the phone with hotels, restaurants, making sure the logistics are, are spot on for all of our trips. And it was just an amazing experience learning like the intricacies of a program and how everyone has a role and responsibility. Hey coach, I know I've told you about this before, but bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA college basketball and the NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers award shows TV and reality TV, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your sports book experts. Please use promo code ARMCHAIR at checkout. Uh, it's great, great lessons, great information. And to understand, again, the detail of everything that goes into winning, you know, at the end of the day, there's all these other things that happen prior to that. And you talked as well about the, uh, the the video room climb, which is, again, a popular way to be able to get into the NBA or to get into college or whatever is to go through the video room. Can you talk about your lessons from the video room? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think one one lesson getting to the video room is is – Difficult. I was fortunate. Uh, the Wizards added an assistant video position when kind of the video room buzz was exploding and teams were adding positions, you know, all like all over the place. And 
And we only had, before I got there, we had one head video coordinator and an intern. And, you know, thankfully they added an assistant video position. I was able to get that, but I could have stayed at Maryland and gotten the video coordinator job and made at least three times the money. But I knew just my growing, like growing up, all I wanted to do was work in the NBA. My whole goal was I just want to get paid to go to NBA games somehow, some way. That was my goal since I was like 12 years old when I read one article about what an advanced scout did. And that's, that's how I remember it. And I was like, wow, an advanced scout like gets paid to go to NBA games. Like that's my goal. So like my lesson in there was just follow your passion. Like it's easy to take short-term money and think that that's like a, a big deal. And, and it is like money matters. Like we have to survive. We have to live a life. But if you're following your passion, like you just, you can't, sacrifice short-term pleasure for long-term achievements, success, however you want to say it. That's such a great lesson. And uh, I'm, I'm wondering about your takeaway then from the differences, and I'm assuming there are differences in terms of, you know, Coach Turgeon, Coach Freeze, and Coach, obviously, uh, you know, with coaches that you've worked with with Washington. What are some of the differences in terms of the type of film they wanted or the type of edits they wanted? Yeah, uh, Coach... Coach Freeze, I thought, you know, one thing that I learned from her, and maybe it's not video room necessarily, but it's just like she was amazing at like touching a player every day in the sense of like physically and emotionally, just like talking to a player every day. And and when when you were stretching and she would come up to you in the stretch, stretch area, whatever like she would make you feel like the most important person in the room by far. And even as a practice player, I was like, Oh my gosh, like, this is amazing. Like <laughs> coach Breeze is talking to me. Like, I don't even think she knew my name for a year, but she was amazing. And she knew everything about me. And just like taking just those little, those little nuggets, um, like from, from coach freeze of just like making someone feel special, making one of your players feel special, especially when you're the head coach, your, your voice, your, actions are so important and everyone's watching what you do so it, it, her talking to a player before practice makes the player feel good it makes it makes other players look around oh wow like coach is talking to coach is talking to marissa like she she you know wow okay i, I see like and it matters and then you know like it mattered it, it it's it kind of flowed into the video piece because she liked to highlight different players um when they did, did like things that she wanted to continue. And obviously like, I'll say this with Mark Turgeon, like he still to this day, he could watch a drill. And if it was like offense, defense, offense, or if it was a scrimmage and it was going back and forth, like three, four, five times, like his vision for being able to see everything that happened, like he would stop it after six possessions and then just boom, 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 like call everything out that just happened. Like, it was just like, for me, I was like, wow, like I barely even saw what just happened. And he just saw like every little snapshot of every piece of the play seven plays ago. So like, I take that from him as my college experiences. I know that's kind of a long winded way of answering your question, but those two in particular were impressive. No, those are huge takeaways for a coach to be able to, again, connect with everyone every day and then obviously to be able to watch the game. And I'm, and that's another advantage of having watched a lot of video and been in the video room in those situations is that you learn to see the game completely differently. And, and the other part I'll say to that is that you're watching the game constantly five on five. So you learn to see stuff off the ball far better than if you're, again, just a practice coach just watching practice.
Yeah, and Chris, I, I tell everyone, I mean, being in the video room is like a you're getting a PhD in basketball. I mean, there's there's two years out of my eight years in the NBA that I've grown the most exponentially. And the first year was the first one is the first year in the video room. I mean, you just learn so much. I mean, we're we're clearing out when I first got there in July we're clearing out old scouts from three years ago and I'm just keeping everything. And they're like, we have this on the, like we have this online. Like, why are you keeping it? They're like, no, I want this. I want this. I would just keep everything. Cause I was so excited to be there, but you learn so much just being in that video room. You have to watch the film. The coaches are relying you are relying on you every single night to watch the film and give them what they need that night or the next morning really early. So that to me, and then the second year that I learned the most, and we'll get to it, was just my first year as a head coach, obviously last year. Um, but yeah, the the video room is just it's like I said, it's a PhD in basketball. You learn you learn so much and so much is thrown at you. That's just the best experience. I, I wouldn't change my path for anything. So you go into the Wizards video room, you progress to assistant coach, and at some point you have the vision of being a potential head coach for the G league team, I'm assuming. So what are some of the things that you did in hopeful anticipation of getting that type of opportunity? Yeah. I mean, I would just, just taking from what I loved about the coaches around me. And there's so many, Chris, you know, there's so many assistant coaches in the NBA that are incredible that people will rarely even hear of. I mean, I'll name a few, but Roy Rogers, Pat Sullivan, Chad Iskey, all the assistants I work with now are, are amazing. Like Mike Longabardi, Tony Brown, Robert Pack. I mean, David Atkins, like all these assistant coaches that people, if I say their names, like, oh, maybe he was a former player one time. And, but no one really knows how good that Don Zierden, you know, like no one knows how good of a coach these people are. And you just learn so much from them. Like, for example, Randy Whitman, amazing, amazing coach. For every single game when we had a shoot around, which was every game, because this was five, seven years ago when shoot arounds were standard, he would put in the first play for that night. So he'd walk through the first play with the starters. And I was like, oh, I love that. You know, like I did that when the G League. So like I just take from what I like about what the coaches did and just try to put my own spin on it. But at the end of the day, you have to be yourself. You know, you can't can't be someone else. You have to be yourself. You have to be like star in your own personality. And I think that's that's the important part. And, and the other challenge is that you are learning too much, right? Like I imagine based on what you just said, like you're collecting so much information that the hard part and the, the part I want you to talk about is how did you funnel it down into what I actually want to do? Well, <laughs> it's funny you ask. I mean, I think the first time you actually get put in charge of running a team, you realize that you have to do less. I mean, what do you think you want to put in? Like even our summer league, like what I wanted to put in and what was actually in offensively and defensively was less than half of, of what I thought. And, and it's just, it goes to show you like let in a lot of ways, less is more, you know, like we, we go on Twitter and we see all the tricky plays and, and, and I love it. That's still like one of my favorite things to do is to dive into the X's and O's, but, but really like the simplicity of running something like pistol or dribble and like the spacing of it and the screening angles. And if they go under, it's an automatic rescreen and different, 
kind of play after the play get games you could do out of that action in particular just one example like you don't need you know you don't need 30 different early offenses you need like four that you do really well or three that you do really really well and from there you can just create out of that and your players can create I think like as a young coach and when I did the summer league I got it I got myself in trouble trying to do too much so to your point whittle down what's essential how do you put your players in the best position to be successful that's the job of a head coach and and I think that that at its core that's what we need to do better I need to do better moving forward as a head coach and even as an assistant coach well it's great advice and uh the the realities of that are hard (laughs) there's no question totally Chris it's hard I mean I see these plays all the time and I love it and it's just and having a head coaching lens when you see you know, when you see as a head coach, like you can't put all that in. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit, right? It doesn't fit. And, and maybe it fits, but it fits not right now. And maybe it fits in 12 games. It maybe fits in four weeks, right? But not right now. Talk to me about, so you already talked about taking the best parts you could from the coaches you've been around, but talk to me then about this process in your mind of preparing to be the head coach. Because here's the thing, you basically are becoming a head coach, which is the the norm for a lot of coaches at college or at the NBA level or G League level. You're becoming a head coach without ever having been a head coach. So talk to me about how you prepared for that actual part of it. Yeah, so some little things I I would think throughout the years that have been helpful, but I, I made sure to watch coaches interviews all the time. Because I wanted to know, and players, like post-game, I had the our PR department, they sent me, like you could be on a list, like usually it's the beat reporters, the GM, they're on the list of like an email that no one really gets except a few people, right? So I would get these emails of like, what is Spo saying after the game? Like, what is his lens? Like, what did he think, right? Or if it was my scout, like what is what is Brad saying about, Utah after the game that maybe I might have tried to touch on or try to highlight. And and sometimes maybe you'd say, you know, like, you know, go bear with his single side tag roles. And we had to be, we have to be good on those, like, or we had to be good on those and we weren't, or we were good on those. And that was a big emphasis. So like trying to see what actually sticks with players, what, what are head coaches looking at? And like Scotty Brooks, he's the, he's amazing with the media. In my opinion, he does a great job. So just watching him also just handle the media, handle some of those little aspects of the job, like in the G league, we don't have too much media, but still like there's times where, where the media plays a part and just, just preparing for like that little aspect was helpful. I also was able to reach out to former G league coaches to see what really helped them from their experiences. And and they were great because they were just like, they were so excited for me to get the experience of being a head coach in the G league. Cause it's such a special league. Like it was, it was such an amazing experience and, and really one that that's, that is, you know, really going to pr- provide like huge dividends for myself moving forward and plenty of other coaches and players. Well, that's it's such a great idea there. And uh, I'm sure so many coaches will now be trying to watch as many interviews as they can to get those tidbits and uh, the different things. And you've obviously found this and you don't have to say names, but certain coaches offer more than others in terms of watching. And you probably came up with your favorites to be able to listen to post game, right? Definitely. Yeah. And, and, and just certain ones, just, just, they really talk the detail of the game, right? Like 
like for example, and, and even watching going cross pollination, like seeing other sports, like if you ask Bill Belichick a question about football, like he'll go on and on in detail and it'll be, a, and I don't even love football, but it'll be like a beautiful answer. If you ask him some like political question about a player off the field, like it, it'll be like vanilla bland, right? Like I just like, I love that. And I learned that from, I forget uh, which, I think Bill Walsh's book could have been, um, but I, but I learned this uh, from Bill Belichick. When you win, say little, no, when you lose, say little, when you win, say less, I think is what it is. But, uh, you know, I just, we can just, all picture Belichick doing that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's his, that's his specialty for sure. It's such good lessons and such important understanding of, of kind of how the media works, but also what you can gain from listening to the right things or watching the right things. And uh, that's, that's such great advice. I'm glad you shared that. And then again, preparing to be a head coach, give us an impression in the NBA as an assistant coach, how much on-court coaching are you doing? Because that's another detail that goes into being the head coach is all of a sudden now you're responsible for decisions, but you're also doing more on-court coaching. Yeah, Chris, let me just say one more thing before that, because that's a great question that I want to get to. But like traveling with a board as an assistant coach, as a video coordinator, like there's no way you can get good at drawing up plays if you don't draw up plays. (laughs) And I think drawing up plays is a huge way to garner uh, respect from your players, especially if you're a non-former player. But even if you are a former player, I think players know if you can put them in best position to be successful out of a timeout. And and that to me, if you don't travel with a, a board, you need to travel with a board or travel with a marker and a pad and just draw plays and doesn't draw up five plays, you know, five plays a day or two plays a day or put yourself on a clock. And I know they have that sauce thing. I did that this summer. It was really cool. I loved it. But so I'll um, give you, I'll give you another thing. Cause I'm so happy you brought this up. Something that yeah. I used to do. I don't do it as much anymore, but I used to just mimic what happened when I'm watching a game. And it's Ah, like, if they go to timeout, if they go to timeout, I'm going to draw up a play. So I'm going to imitate exactly what I think I should do in that situation. No, obviously I'm never, I'm never right. Like I'm not doing exactly what they're doing, but it's what I would do in that situation. And what play would I run? And without looking at notes or different things like that, it's what are you going to draw up? It's just a fun way to be able to do it. Totally agree. And, and another, even another thing is, is drawing up the ATO that that coach ran. Like maybe you're watching the fit, you're watching the game, you're watching it live. You can't rewind, you can't fast forward, whatever. And like, just try and draw it up right after. Like who was in which place? Like that's hard too. Like seeing, oh, I, I love court, that. That's awesome. Seeing, yeah. seeing the whole court is hard. And then even like we get, we get bogged down and me as a young coach got bogged down with offense. Like, can you draw up a defensive rotation too? That's not easy either. And and that's something that I'm still like, both of them I'm getting better at, but the defensive piece, can you draw up not only the offensive play, can you draw up how the defense defended it? Like, did they ice the pick and roll, but then they had to peel back to a shooting big and then they swung it, they switched it, rolled down in the post, triple switch. Like, I don't know, like, can, can we draw that up too? That's just as important. A lot of times, you know, I focus as a head coach, I focus a lot on the ATO offensively, but a lot of times you have to look at, defensively what we need to get better at and improve on during the course of the game. Well, you can be both coaches then, right? Or <laughs> you can choose one 
like I'm going to be defense or I'm going to be offense. And that's such great advice. And, and this all applies to what Doug Lemoff talked about, which is this chunking, this long-term memory concept. And for you to put stuff in your long-term memory, you have to do it over and over in this interweaving concept. So not to geek out in terms of the skill acquisition part of it, but that's it. That's learning. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm so glad we got into this. Yeah, thanks. So now that I've completely ignored your question, <laughs> we were talking about um, what? What did you say? We're, we're, we're talking about the, the the detail now of learning how to actually be an on court coach. And yeah. I, I, give us an idea first of all of what some on court responsibilities would be for you actually coaching in a practice as an assistant, because now as a head coach, you're going to do uh, obviously a lot of on court coaching. Yeah. So I mean, that's where. I mean, I can't speak to how much Sky Brooks has helped me in my career. Just he's the best at, at giving everyone responsibility in practice. So, you know, like even, even he'll like, I was a video guy or I was, I was behind the bench doing player development and some video. And he gave me three, three scouts his first year as a head coach. And I am maybe even two. And I was freaking out, like no sleep, like everyone who's listening knows your first scout. And regardless of who you're playing or, or win or loss, it is a very exhilarating experience. And, you know, I think I I credit him with just giving young guys on the staff, those opportunities. So he was great about that. And, and what he also does is he gives, you know, training camp practices, he gives you opportunities to, be in front of the team. So an example would be this year training camp. It was my responsibility to do a shell defensive drill for four minutes and it rotates every four minutes. So three groups, four minutes, so 12 minutes straight. And you had, and and when it's your drill, what he always talks about, when it's your drill, you're the head coach. So all the coaches around you are helping you be successful in that drill. And that, that is, is very important, but it's also like it gives you a snippet of being a head coach. It's hard managing staff and we can get to it, but like managing your staff in a four minute drill three times is hard enough. Managing a staff over the course of a season to me was the most challenging part of the job of being a head coach. Well, and I want to dive into that and we can get into that, but just to, to just piggyback on what you just said, having been to obviously tons of practices, different places, I just, the, the best coaches do that, right? The best coaches put their staff in a situation where they can apply what they've learned and what they're doing and to be able to improve and get better. And uh, that that's just great to hear. And uh, maybe some coaches would be surprised hearing that, but generally most NBA practices that I've been to, that is the reality of what happens. One assistant has a drill and they run the drill and they manage the group and the head coach is not the one running it. So I'm curious then, did you do that with your G League staff? Yeah, totally. And I think I think that's important because I think it makes your voice more not powerful is the right word to say, but it makes your voice more distinct. If you're coaching all practice, all games, if you're always the voice all the time, it just it's too much, you know, and it kind of it kind of devalues your voice. So I think it's really important just to give your staff responsibility because like I talked, like I touched on and we were touching on it now, managing your staff is the most challenging part of the job. It really is because especially in the G league, like all your staff, they want to grow and improve just like the players. And like, for me, I feel like I have a responsibility to help them the way that I was helped in my career. So I really want to put them in position to be successful, but to also challenge them. 
and, and try and meet with them every month to just say like, Hey, how's it going? Like, do you like what you're doing? Do you not like, do you want to do other projects? Like what, what's on your mind? But, but I found that that to be a, a difficult, but rewarding part. I mean, it's part of your job as a head coach. I mean, that's part of leading men and, and women and, and just being in a leadership position is you have to, you have to care and challenge and, and develop everyone around you. That's great. And, uh, Talk to us then. You become the head coach. What is what are some of the first things you do in preparation for that opportunity? Now let's paraphrase that. You were before that you were the head coach of the summer league team. Was that the the summer preceding that? Uh, I think it was two summers preceding. Okay. So you had been a head coach with the summer league team, but then talk to us. You got named the uh, G League head coach. Talk to us then. What are some of the first things that you did in preparation? Just hire the staff, um, get a feel for for the front office. I thought um, Scott Schrader, Pops, Amber, who's our current GM, they just did a great job of making me feel welcome and included and involved in the process. Obviously, with the G League, there's a draft before the season. There's an open tryout before the season starts. Those help me kind of get my feet wet, help my staff, help our staff like get our feet wet and really just just start the cohesion of working together, watching film together for, for the draft preparation, being in drills together for the open tryout preparation part. And, and I'd be remiss, you know, I thought Jarrell Christian in the first year did an incredible job just setting the foundation for the go-go. I mean, it was a first year of a new, new franchise. Like that's hard to do him and his staff did a great job. Like I said, just, just setting the groundwork. So that was helpful. But then from there, just, just trying to find your voice, you know, find your voice in different drills, different individual meetings with players, trying to, you know, have meetings with your staff and and make everyone feel included because it really is like, it can't be just about you. If it's about just about you as the head coach, the people around you aren't going to have your back, you know, and I think that's important just to hire the right people, but also empower them to be their best version of themselves. So let's dive deeper a little bit. What are some pointers for us to be able to manage the staff? I just think giving giving the staff roles. That was one thing I did um, before the season started is just give give them all like five things that that they're in charge of. Like that's this is on you guys, you know, like in and I'm here to help. But I want you to take care of that and you to just facilitate that and, and make it your own. Like just because we have a a closeout drill that I like, like when I give it to David, who is a great, great assistant coach, I was like, I want you to do whatever drill you want. Like make sure they have a stick hand up. That's my only teaching point I want. Other than that, it's your world. Do whatever you want to do. And just giving them the freedom to be creative. So I, I think that that, that part and not just, like that just goes into not micromanaging, not always trying to have control of the situation because the reality is there's, infinite ways to teach closeouts and there's infinite ways to put them in position to be put the players in position to be successful in a closeout. So as a head coach, if I think that I'm just like delusional, if I think there's only one way to do it, in my opinion. So just important to just, just allow creativity, allow freedom. And I think, I think people will thrive in that environment. What strikes me is that that's similar to what you would do with players, right? In the sense that you give them, okay, this is my absolute but then everything else is within a range of possibilities, right? And that's essentially what you're saying to your staff. This is the thing that really matters to me. Beyond that, I trust you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you're totally right. That's the same way that 
you know, that I approach players and when I'm working with specific players this year back as an assistant coach, like this is what I care about. You guys, like you do your thing. You're the player. Like you're, you're here for a reason. You're one of 450. You're one of the most elite human beings in the world at what you do. Like do what you do, but here's what I believe in. And here's, and like just finding a way to meet in the middle, I think is, is really important. That's great. And uh, talk to me then more about uh, managing the players. So you have to manage the staff and now talk to me about managing the players. Yeah. I, th- I think like the biggest advantage we had was our setup. You know, we practiced and played in the same buildings the Wizards practiced in and where and where their offices were. So every every practice, I mean, we had the coaching staff, some of the players around that were, you know, getting treatment or finishing up and leaving and popping their head in. And I thought that just created such a cool environment. Like we have such an amazing environment that Tommy Shepard and Sashi Brown and those guys, like the monumental basketball family that they just have developed and it's just like you can feel it when you walk in our building that there's just like a a sense of of like purpose that we're all rowing in the same direction whether you're in the g league whether you're in the nba or whether you're in the WNBA. and i think that that's such an advantage but the one thing that i will say is that talking to former g league coaches and just knowing how kind of chemistry works i just made it a point when anytime the nba players two-way players, assignment players, exhibit 10 guys, whenever they were with us, like Garrison Matthews, Admiral Schofield, Andres Pesesniks, whenever those players were with us, I just like, my biggest thing was I had to be harder on them. Jalen Jones had NBA experience. You know, like he'd been in the G League. He'd been a really good player in the G League before. Like my whole thing was like, I need to be harder on those guys, particularly the NBA guys, because if you let the NBA guys go back and forth and kind of just do whatever, it creates a bad environment for the other players. So I think just learning how to hold your best players accountable and that experience in itself really helped me. So talk to me then a young coach, obviously passionate. We can, we can hear it in your voice. We can, we know you'll work hard. That's not a question, but talk to me about self-care, which is a underrated part about being a head coach. And, and to be honest, being a coach in general. Yeah, I think the first, you know, the first 10 games, like when we lost, I would not sleep ever because you just you go through every decision you make and you just think it's your fault. And then when you win, you sleep a little bit more, but still like it's still tough. And after the first 10 games, like I started to have so much more fun when I realized that in the game, you have way less control than you think. You know, like you could call timeouts, you can make subs, you can get a technical foul. I did get one, by the way. Um, you could, which, which the team and staff did not think I would get, but I did get it. Um, you know, like ATOs, you can, and you can do like in game defensive adjustments. Outside of that, like practices are your games as a coach. And I, I started to love practices as a head coach because that's where it's really like you're in, like you have that control aspect of, of, different aspects of things you want to get better at. You want to get your, like get your transition defense better. Like, but what, like those are your games as a head coach. And, and that's when I realized like, you know, I had one of my, my associate head coach, Dan Tashini, great coach, coach of 450 games in Mexico, like as a head coach, incredible, incredible mind. But he would always like, before they tip the ball up, the referee had the ball in his hand. He was about to throw the ball up. I would always, turn to him and ask him, Dan, how much control do I have? He'd go, 
not much. <laughs> and just like, it just made me like, we laughed about it every time, like for 43 games, whatever we had. And it just like, it made me feel just better because the habits that you do on a daily basis are your habits. Like you're not just going to like roll out the ball when you're playing Rio Grande Valley and like change everything you do. It's like, no, like that's, that's like three, four months back of work that you did. So it's not, I just like, I self-care to me is just realizing that you have less control than you think in the game. Enjoy it, have fun, put your players in the best position to be successful. Hey coach, I know I've told you about this before, but bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA college basketball and the NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers award shows, TV and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your sports book experts. Please use promo code ARMCHAIR at checkout. Hey coach, brief interruption to tell you about eBay sneakers. From rare dead stock to the latest release, you can find the exact sneaker you've been looking for on eBay. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to get the pair you've been eyeing. And with eBay's authenticity guarantee, a team of independent professional authenticators perform a rigorous inspection of the sneakers you purchase before they're sent to you. So you can shop confidently knowing your pair is the real deal. And for the sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. With other sites taking as much as 25%, you're going to have a lot of extra money left for more sneakers. Check out ebay.com slash sneakers today. Well, what a great mindset to have as a young coach, because I think I think all coaches that have coached have gone through that. And it takes time and, and it's a gut wrenching experience that if you don't get to that point, it becomes hard. And I'll be honest, that was something that I struggled with as a coach for sure. Yeah, it, it is. That's that is the way to explain it. It is gut wrenching. It really is. And but but you realize like in the G League, the best part about the G League that I love and it's the hardest is that you're always with the players and the coaches. So like in the NBA, you drive separately to the airport when you're at like at home going to the road and then you walk on the plane and you may not see the players for I don't know, you may not see them for 16, 24 hours in the G League. When you're waking up at 3.40 in, in uh, Fort Wayne, like you're all going on the little bus together to the airport and then you're all checking in together and you're all on the plane together. So you can be mad at each other, but you're probably going to sit next to each other on a commercial flight and like you have to like speak about other things other than basketball. Like you have to like move on, like life goes on, win, lose or draw. So that, I just love, like, you made me think about that. I love that aspect of the G League. I think it's so important. Well, it's such a great point because I, I do find, I did find that too. Like on the road, you let go of losses so much easier, you know, because you just, again, you're in, around people, you're around your players, you're around your staff. And it was just this thing that you just had to move on. And uh, it's such a great point. Talk to me then a little bit about X's and O's then as the head coach. You talked about it, keeping it simple, but did the philosophy come from the, uh, NBA team on down, or did you have some freedom to be able to develop the philosophy? How did that work? Yeah, it really was from the NBA team because the, the priority is obviously to develop Wizards players. And we'd never want a situation where, 
a Wizards player, like let's just use Garrison Matthews, who's who's playing great for us now for the Wizards right now and has started in the last, you know, 11 games. And he's, he's done a great job. I'm really proud of him. But someone like him, like I don't want to be calling different plays or like different names. And then he goes up to the NBA team and like he's got no idea what's going on. Like that wouldn't help him be successful. So I would say 90 to 95% was the same as what the wizards did. We put our own spins on it based on our roster and, you know, Scotty and, and Tommy were, were obviously fine with that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very similar. The offensive and defensive systems, I would speak with the wizards coaches and, you know, how do you want Garrison to guard this? Like what type of players do you want someone like Garrison guarding so that he can be most helpful when he, when he does play with the wizards. So you know, that, that part of it was also fun, just kind of working with our wizard staff and, and obviously having a previous relationship being on the staff before was, was really helpful with that. Well, and I imagine that's got to be very helpful in helping you as a, like a first time head coach that you have this template to be able to follow. And then that also probably drives your thinking beyond in terms of forming your philosophy beyond that is like, I start from this template. So it helps me understand a little bit more about what I like or what I don't like when you get your next opportunity. Yeah, definitely. And kind of what we touched on earlier, it just, it keeps things simpler because, you know, if you have just a blank slate, you could go so many different ways. And sometimes like, especially in the first job, like being a first time head coach, like you said, it's nice to have kind of a template to, to use as your skeleton. And then you can, you can build from there. Well, I think that's a progression. A lot of college coaches, a lot of high school coaches that I've talked to when they take over or where they get their own job for the first time, they tend to do what their previous boss did or their previous coach did. And that makes sense. And it takes time for them to put their own stamp on it. Because again, there's a safety net of knowing that this template worked. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when you see coaches, especially in the NBA, when they take over for, you know, previous head coaches and they run like a good amount of the same stuff. I mean, obviously they have their own spin, but especially in the first year, like you said, like the calls can be similar at times and the actions are similar because a lot of it is, are you putting your players in the best position to be successful? I know it's going to be like, like we're going to hear this a couple of times from me, but that's really what the job is. Absolutely. A big part of the job for sure. And, uh, you know, talk to us then, uh, you know, the, you have these offensive and defensive systems. And then what was the main part where you got creativity and freedom? Was it from ATOs? Was it from, you know, the way that you ran practice? Or where did you find that you were able to be the most creative? ATOs, practice, structure, and I would say shoot arounds, I thought was the the times when I could be most creative and, and where I was, I mean, ATOs are really your, your thing. Um, like I told you about the first play uh, thing that Randy used to do. I, I did that. Um, and, and I think that, that to me was, was fun, but even just different, different practice ideas when you have like players draw plays when they're scrimmaging different scoring systems. I like messing with the score, you know, when you kind of, um, you know, you like make mid range one and you make rim finishes three and corner threes four, you know, just messing with it a little bit, just to, just to kind of just create a little bit of a, just a different vibe, you know, just a little bit different, you know, like music during stretch music, during warm ups, di- different things um, just to kind of experiment with and really just try like some of the things I tried and I'll say, you know, I, I didn't really like that. And some of the things that I tried that, you know, I did like that. So just moving forward and just knowing, you know, like 
one of the things that we tried was rotating coaches working with players pregame every 10 games. And, and when you work with a player pregame, you do film individual film study with them also. So every 10 games we rotate it. And some of our coaches and players didn't like it. Some of them did. I actually do like that. I think that sometimes when we work with the same player the whole entire year, you become, you become a little stagnant. It becomes like one voice only sometimes where like you, you get like a little bit defensive over that player. I think we've all probably been there. Um, and I think like having different voices, it just like creates an environment for the team where, you know, you're working with one player and then in, in 10 games you're working with another player. So you like develop different types of relationships and it's just like connective fiber for your team. Yeah, it just reminds me of that coaching uh, like adage to say that we want to make the the comfortable uncomfortable to develop them, but then we want to make them comfortable again to be able to have them play well. And uh, I've always thought about that when people have talked about those different ideas about whether you should rotate the coaches or whatnot in the NBA. So happy to hear your take on that. Uh, moving into the uh, post head coaching career, what are some of the ways that you got feedback and where you got a chance to reflect because the hard part is so much of being a head coach is obviously about the development of your players, especially at the G league level. So not necessarily your development as much, but when it's all over, now you get this chance to really reflect and develop. Can you talk about that process? Yeah, that process was, was really illuminating and educational for me. Um, We had a really, I mean, zoom really changed everything, but we had such a, detailed exit meeting um, with all the players. We like, you know, I had one-on-one meetings with all the players via zoom and just, you know, what did you like? What did you do? What didn't you like? And what could I do better um, moving forward? And I got some really amazing answers. Like it was some, some really, you know, cause a lot of our players have played for great coaches. Um, they played for not so great coaches. So it's just, some coaches they vibe with some coaches they don't. So just hearing what they had for me, I did the same with our staff. I did the same with our front office. I did the same with our equipment manager, the same with our strength and conditioning coach. Cause I think it's important to get a well-rounded um, just a well-rounded view of like what we could have done better, what we could have done differently. And, and I think that supplements like just checking in throughout the year too, because like as much as like your trainer, your strength and conditioning coach, like they're with your players every day. They're a critical part of your staff. Like I always had an open door policy with our staff. Like if you want to come in the coaches meeting, you're always well, like I'd love for you to be there to the strength coach, to the trainer, to our strength, um, to our equipment manager. And I would ask them questions like, who should we start tonight? Who do you like? Why? Why do you like that? Because I think that it's important to hear their opinion. I think that's important. They have a different lens. Um, and I just find that it, again, it, it creates a connectivity amongst your staff. Well, I was going to say it empowers them. Wow. That's, that's such a great idea to be able to do that and uh, to be able to empower everyone around you to be invested in success. Exactly. And that's all it is. It's an investment. It's, it's, everyone wants to know, you know, it's the old adage, like no one cares what you know until they know that you care. Uh, I think I said that right. But, and that's, that's the truth of it. And I think that that goes for players that goes for staff that goes for, you know, you might call it support staff, but when you're in the G league, like you have one strength coach, you have one trainer, they do the food, they do the laundry, they do, they do a lot of things and, and they, they work hard. So it's important that they're, they're able to, to have a say in, in what we're doing. If you're willing to share a few, what are some of the things that you came away as needs improvements? 
needs improvements? Good question. Um, some of the things were, I think just like the G league is, is a, is a great league. I think that um, shot selection, I think was something that our players probably wanted me to control more. And that was something that, that moving forward, I think we need to check in with every single, like every week. And it was probably the first time where I held our guys accountable where in like the sixth game of the year, we're going to play Delaware. And we did a film session. Like these are the shots we want, but these are the shots we don't want. And like calling guys out by name, like, this is like, this is what we want. Jalen, this is what we don't want Jalen. Like, and I think them seeing it, all players want to be held to a certain standard. They all want to be treated fairly. Um, and that's really, I think they need to hear the head coach say players' names when you're holding them accountable. That's one thing that I learned throughout my career. But that, that was one thing, just shot selection. I think we practiced a lot. I, I feel like we, as a G League team, it's our responsibility, in my opinion, to play a lot. I think you need to play a lot in practice, like scrimmage. Um, we were doing a lot of rehab assignments in February. We had a ton of games. Um, and it's actually, it's funny, like, whereas most teams and conventional thinking would have laid back on the amount of practice and playing we did in February, we actually ramped it up probably more so because we had to, because we had players from the wizards that were rehabbing and like their last final part of rehab was to scrimmage with us. So we had to adapt our schedule around that. But I think that sometimes that kind of wore the players out. Um, but we listened to that during the year and, and we, you know, we might've done a late shoot around if we played, you know, the day before in practice and we kind of adjusted. So that was another thing that I think the guys talked about. Wow. Thank you for sharing those things. That's, that's great. Great insight to be able to share and for all of us to be able to look at and evaluate if we're doing that as well as we could as well. Uh, talk to me now about the difference between micro and macro thinking now that you're back to being an assistant coach. Yeah, I think, I think um, as an assistant coach, I can think more in a macro, I uh, no, sorry, as assistant coach, I can think more in a micro lens, like the thought process, like as a head coach, it's always macro. It's always the big question is always what is best for the team? Like, when are we going to leave for this trip? What's best for the team? When are we going to, are we going to take a bus? Are we going to take a plane? What's best for the players? What's best for the team? But as an assistant coach, I think you can think in a more micro lens. You can kind of say, what's best for the three players I work out pregame in like, how can I help them during the game? Like, how can I really look at the three players I look at, I work with and watch film with individually. How can I, give them an advantage when it's time to play or extra shots workout. So I think I can like hone in on a more micro level working with specific players and working and like, just like focusing on my projects that I do for, for coach, you know, like from an offensive standpoint, like how can I help like special situations? How can I help him in those special situations as a head coach? You have to think about everything. So it's not like you can just think of like like two or three things, like special situations and defensive adjustments. Like you need everything. So after going through that experience as a head coach, I'm able to be better about my micro. I love that. And I love that, that phrasing for assistant coaches, especially to be able to understand their role a little bit more in terms of the micro type of situation so they don't get caught up in the macro thinking, which can bog us down as assistant coaches, can it? Yeah, definitely. And I think Chris, like 
I want to also just mention that I think just going through being a head coach and, and that the level doesn't matter as much as more about the responsibility, but you see kind of what the head coach now, like I, I have a better feel for what Scotty goes through. Obviously it's like NBA, it's a different, it's definitely a different magnitude, but it's the same job. So I have a better feel for kind of what he's going through some of the, the times where it's, where I can press on some of the things that I see and some of the times where I just hold back. Cause I know that it's, it's a hard job. It's a lonely job. I mean, Scotty told me that when I took the job, he's like, it's a lonely job. It's, it's sometimes you feel like you're by yourself and that's the challenge of it. But it's like, I feel like a lot of times as a young assistant, before I was a head coach, a lot of my maybe recommendations were like kind of off the wall, like, you know, well, why don't we just, uh, why don't we blitz this pick and roll? Like just this one, you know, when they run pistol, it's like, well, like we never really practiced that yet. So like, it's easy as an assistant to say, well, let's just do this. Let's do that. Let's throw things against the wall and see what, see what sticks. And that's our job. But it's also like, I have a better feel in my opinion of, of like, not just recommending like crazy things that we don't do. Like, like, to me as a head coach, a lot of the things were like, well, why don't we just like do it harder and like try it again, make sure the effort's there. A lot of times, like we want to make these adjustments and it's like, why? Like we haven't even given the first coverage a chance to work. And I think that that's like, I, I always think it's funny when people on Twitter or some people in the media were like, well, this guy doesn't make any adjustments. It's like, I can ask you what the first coverage was and you don't even know the first coverage. So how do you know what the adjustment is? Right. Like I just find that to be funny. Like it, it, when it comes to like media criticizing coaches. Well, I, I couldn't agree more on that. And as we talked about on this podcast, the difference between sympathy and empathy, they're completely yeah. different, right? Like when you've experienced it, it's this empathy that you can go to and, and talk to me then like, it's not hard for you to go back and accept your role. And you've talked about that. But I'm curious then, when you came back to being an assistant now, were you able to have a better understanding of where you could make the most impact because you were previously a head coach? Yeah, I think just seeing where the holes are, like different areas where like, well, this player isn't playing. Maybe he needs like someone to talk to and not just wait for the head coach to like speak to that player because the head coach has to worry about a lot of other things excuse me, a lot of other things. So it's just important to like try and get ahead of problems before they, they manifest into problems and just checking in on different players. Cause you know, everyone, like I talked about with Brenda Fries, like everyone wants to like have the head coach, like give them attention and give them love in a lot of ways, but like, it's not realistic. It's not always going to happen. So, so how can you like make an impact for me? It's like just find filling around, like around the gaps, like filling around the periphery and, and finding ways to provide value behind the scenes to the players I work with, to the players I don't work with, and even to like the surrounding staff who have responsibilities that I can help. Well, I love that phrasing, providing value behind the scenes. And that should be a constant question for us as, as support staff, assistant coaches, et cetera. Are we providing value behind the scenes? Because as you said, the head coach is in this macro mindset. Yeah. And it's just like, Again, it's just like you see it every day. It's like it's a tough job and it's easy after the fact to say, oh, well, we shouldn't have fouled here. We could have made this up. We could have. Yeah, it's easy to say that after the fact, but like you're making decisions like within seconds and you have to make all those decisions. And like there's so many decisions in an NBA game and a G League game that 
like you just make a decision and and just because it didn't work it doesn't mean the alternative would have worked either and that's where like when you get to self-care and mindset when you're like well like i could have subbed i could could have subbed someone here but that doesn't mean that it would have worked out better right like it, it has nothing to do you're just playing the result and i think that that's the important part is not not playing the result like it's easy to play the result because you know what happened but it's not easy to just take an objective mindset and say, well, we subbed him for a reason. Like we subbed him because it was a defensive matchup that our coaching staff and myself that we liked and we went with it. It might not have worked, but that doesn't mean another option would have worked. Well, and that speaks to the media and Twitter and all the different stuff that comes into it, the woulda, shoulda, couldas, and uh, it doesn't necessarily give you a better outcome. (laughs) Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's easy to say it because we know the outcome that happened, but it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it absolute. Right. And that's, that's why we all love the game. And I'm not, I'm not picking on the media because I think the media for the most part, does an incredible, like a great job and they help drive the popularity of basketball. And, you know, there's a lot of media members that I, I like and respect. It's just, you know, it gets back to what, what uh, Miami talks about. Like they talk about the, the media is an opponent in a lot of ways. And I think there's, there's a lot of truth to that. Ryan, man, this has been awesome. I mean, so many unique insights and great insights that coaches can, you know, put into action right now. And, uh, you know, what a great coaching journey you've already been on and I know it will continue. So uh, maybe just uh, what what are some things that you would share with coaches who are on that coaching journey as well? Thanks, Chris. I would just say to really just embrace where you are and and enjoy enjoy the journey, because like I said earlier, not everyone's journey is the same. And just because somewhere someone is in a different place and you, you may view it as further along, like no one knows, like, it's just enjoy it where you are. I mean, you look at someone like Nick nurse, who's coaching all over the place and he had no idea. And now he's one of the best coaches in the NBA. Right. But he got the reps. And, and I think at the end of the day, it's about competence. And I heard, I actually, it's fresh on my mind because I heard Jeff Van Gundy talk about it, but like, competence and reliability and trust and all those things like factor into whether or not like you are viewed as an essential like member of the staff right in a lot of ways and and it's just like the the players like every time that you talk to a player like your your credibility is there like Paul Pierce used to want to talk about the 10:30 game the night before like Sacramento against Golden State back when he was on the wizards and like it was 9 a.m. Cause he was doing his routine. I had no idea, but I had to start staying up later. So I knew what he was talking about because like he was just a savant. Like he loved basketball so much. He would start talking. Like one thing that surprised me about our young guys, I'm rambling a little bit is that they don't watch basketball. Like I, nothing more. I love like watching the NBA and just talking to someone like a vet, like, the vets on our team or even our fellow coaches. Like you see that game last night. Like that was amazing. Like, you know, like what about that pick and roll? Like what, what Lillard in the third quarter, like that is just like, that's what we're doing. Like we love basketball. I think at its core, like if you love the game, the game will love you back. Um, so travel with a board. <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> travel with a board and just enjoy the journey. Well, and, and I just, we got to go back to that point about, you know, younger people not necessarily watching the game and imagining that, you know, it's because they can get it in such short bursts 
right? They don't have to sit there like, you know, 10 years, 15 years, you have to watch the whole game. There's just so many highlights and so many package presentations of the game that they don't have to watch a whole game to necessarily learn the game. But then that takes away some of that, as you said, that romanticization of the game. But yeah, just, yeah, no, it's a great point. And I think it's just finding ways around it too. Like, you know, Scotty always says, like, if if you want to complain about the new age player and how they don't do this, they don't do that. It's like, he always says like, they'll find someone else to coach them. So it's on us to relate to the new age player, quote unquote. And if they don't watch basketball, like how can you get them no personnel? Like that's the biggest thing that I see between young players between a little bit older players and then elite players, elite players, no personnel. And that's the hardest thing for young players coming into the NBA right now is knowing personnel, especially international players. We went through it when we had Sadoransky, we went through it like with Denny, Denny's really smart and he's, he's coming a long way just to give an example, but it's hard. Like he doesn't know these players necessarily, but he's done a way better job of like reading the scouting report thoroughly understanding what they do. We send clips every single game to them. So now he's watching them a little more intently, but like, for example, even pregame when Sadoransky first got to us, he wasn't playing. One of the assistant coaches, Chad Iskey, a great coach in Charlotte now, but he used to do closeouts versus the coaches and the coach used to be a player. So he would throw the ball out to me or another coach and say, Marcus Smart, right? So at that time, he was more of a non-shooter. He's turned himself into a pretty good shooter now. Um, And he always hits big shots, obviously. But, you know, let's say close out, stick hand, give him a little space. But then, you know, when he drives, you know, like he loves to go right, left for a step back, whatever. Like those are the type of things like pregame that can help our guy. So like maybe he doesn't watch a ton of film and Thomas did watch a lot of film. So that's not a totally good example, but just getting him into learning personnel. I thought that was just a great example of, of working around like an international player, like not knowing the personnel as well and getting him to have familiarity. Can I just build on that? Because that's such a great, I'm so glad we got to that. So, so the game, the game is more visual than it is verbal. So yeah. the thing that I would consider with that, especially with an NBA staff, is maybe have three people there so that when you throw the ball to one of them, that's, say, Marcus Smart, and that's whoever, and that's whoever. So now it's a visual rather than a verbal because that's kind of what they have to identify as they close out. And I'm just thinking out loud. I really oh, don't. Right. But I'm just well, thinking like, hey, and, and really that's what I try and do is I try and say, how can we make something better? And that's what you've done, and that's what we continue to do with these conversations. Totally. I mean, Chris, I mean, we did something the other day that was awesome. We had Jerome Robinson and, and Mo Wagner. They were working out and we were doing a defensive drill and we were trapping the box. Low man was coming over on a baseline drive, trapping the box. And then the other player was an X out player, but we had two coaches in the opposite corner. So when I skipped it, they were closing out to coaches. But what we did was we did, we were about to play Boston. So we did, personnel for each of those players so that's some of the hardest thing there's so much switching in the nba now that not only does denny need to know jason tatum but he also needs to know who peyton pritchard is because they're switching right and now he's the x-man so now he's they're flying out to a contest but you're contesting there's semi on one side and there's jason tatum on one side if you have a choice who are you going to run to and it's easy for us to say oh yeah of course like you let you run to Tatum, like let, let semi shoot the ball, right? Like if you're going to choose, but in the speed of an NBA game, 
it's easy to say, but if you don't work on it, it's hard. That is hard to do. I mean, I'm a, I, I'm a bad practice player at practice for the Wizards sometimes. And I have a hard time doing it with our guys. And I know the familiarity. I know all of our guys, but it's not easy to do. So that's another way, Chris, you just made me think about that. Like when you have multiple, multiple coaches being different players. And I thought like that was a cool thing we did that that can be helpful. I love that. We'll have to do all they, that they in part it. two of our podcast, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they, they loved it because they were thinking, they were talking it out. Like it was fun for them. You know, like you created a different stimulus, you know, you, you like you did some chunking in there, like where they have to really think on the fly. And I thought that was, that was fun. Well, and that's, that's the goal of all practice. And that's the part that some people miss. The goal of all practice is to make people think, and it's not to have mindless practice and these mindless repetitions. So I I love that. That's, that's such a cool thing. And I'm glad you shared that. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. And I think just like you said, just keep changing, changing those different stimulus stimuli up and just, you know, like if you're in your spot shooting and you're, you know, we work with a, a mental skills coach named Derek Panchuk from Australia. And he's, he's been really honest about like, not just shooting like 10 shots in one spot, you know, like shoot three, then move them or shoot three and then do a defensive slide and then shoot two more. And then, you know, do something out, just change the stimulus, like make it different. Don't just like, just repeat. Cause that's not how the game is. The game isn't like, all right, like shoot 10 shots in the left corner. Like that's not how it works. I mean, and and there's a time and place for volume shooting. Don't get me wrong. But I think when you're preparing for game shots at game speed at game spots, it's just important to, to change it up and mix it up a little bit. Love it. Ryan, I can't thank you enough. I mean, so much of this resonates with me and it'll resonate with so many people. So thank you for sharing the game with us. Chris, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the basketball podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.